0: Welcome to another edition of the Grizzden podcast. We wanted to let the dust settle after last night because it was quite an emotional loss uh in game 3. Grizzlies were uh, down most of the game, and actually all of the game, and the Gr- Lakers won, one <laughs> eleven to one hundred and one. Uh, we actually have an in person podcast. Uh, we're recording here on Sunday afternoon. John Kraft is in the house. Welcome, Kraft. Good to be here. Ty is also here. Hey, Ty.
1: Mixed feelings to yeah. be here, but so, we're in Grizzden HQ, so we this are is great.
0: We are. Brantley's not here. We will be relaying his thoughts on on the game. And we're also, at the end of this pod, going to do a, a quick Game 4 preview. So kind of a two-for-one special here since we are um, later than our normal normal instant reaction time. But, Ty, I'm going to start with you because you were not on the last preview podcast. We did, mm-hmm. however, share your thoughts about uh, what you predicted this game would be, which is a runout. Yeah. And it did, if you look at the final <laughs> score, it was a 10-point margin I think everyone at this table might agree that that doesn't tell the full story of the game. Um, Grizzlies had a historically low-scoring first quarter. Um, didn't break single digits until, until early in the second quarter. Uh, Ty,
1: where do you want to start with, with this game? God, that's such a hard question to answer on which direction to go. Um, I'm just going to go with the most obvious and bring up Dylan. Um, if you've heard, if you've, if you've been around, uh, Dylan Brooks in the last couple of days has been by far the most discussed, talked about Grizzly, um, probably in like months and it's not due to his play, uh, or his positive impact in any kind of way. It's not due to his, um, hard nose defense and getting stops or, I would say anything offensively, but that's never really the case. Um, last night at the beginning of the game, I texted y'all this. I just had a feeling it was going to go the way that it did. We were going to get punched in the mouth. Um, we all knew that. Like I think all of us were like, yep, this is to be expected. But we didn't expect it to be that bad, right? Um, I don't want to put – we were talking earlier. I don't want to put the blame – talking just basketball here, but also blending in kind of the off-court stuff. Um, it's hard to look back and blame Dylan, like, solely for that loss, obviously. Like, that's the easy thing to do, and that's, like, the Dylan cost us the game, this kind of stuff, like, if he was better, all this kind of stuff. And I think it's probably more right than wrong that he was responsible for how the game got started. And in my opinion, how the game got started is the the first six minutes of the game is why we lost. Um, And I will – put a lot of blame on him for that start uh kind of documented his uh his shots early we'll just kind of read them read them out he was three for 13 um in 19 minutes um one for five from three all of those shots were pretty much wide open especially his threes actually the one three he made we were talking joking earlier it was like as the shot clock was expiring, and it was just like a heave, and it went in, and he immediately like flexed, and we were ah oh man, I was just like, God, this is not not the time, my man. Um, it's kind of funny that you know Chris Vernon even talked about this on his podcast that what he doesn't want is that like everyone was like this is gonna get LeBron out of his comfort zone, this is gonna force LeBron into bad shots, and Vernon was quickly like, I actually think this is gonna put Dylan in a bad spot, and he's gonna be forcing the issue. And he's going to be too hyped up to control himself, and that's kind of what happened, in my in my eyes. Um, just a brutal start. Couldn't have it. Um, you knew what was going to happen, and it still happened anyway. We can maybe talk about does Jenkins have any kind of role in this? Like the leash he gives Dylan. A lot of people have kind of talked about that. Maybe we can hear y'all's thoughts on that one. Um, I'm I'm mixed on that to be honest. Uh, I'll I'll talk about it really quick, then I'll throw it back to y'all about. Dylan and just Jenkins in general. My one Jenkins thought is ever since he got here, um, he has been let it fly, like the king of let it fly. Um, People have basically given him credit for the Tyus Jones huge uptick in three-point shooting. Before Tyus got to us, when he played for the Wolves, I think he was taking like less than a three a game or something like that. It was wild. He comes to the Grizzlies. He's immediately empowered to shoot more. Um, John Conchar is the same when uh, Kennard got here they were like he's really on me to shoot it's just hard to preach that for years and years and years and then like I don't know pull it away Um, when it's not going well coaches have to make tough decisions all the time that's probably a part of it Um, but it kind of goes against Jenkins philosophy even though it may be the right thing I could just see why it's not like just the easiest thing in the world for Jenkins to be like no you're not shooting anymore um. so Kraft I'll throw it to you real quick what are your thoughts on Dylan what are your thoughts on did his role play the majority of the reason why we got down big because I think that's when we lost it and like what what do we do about it next he's not suspended for game four we didn't mention that yet or he got ejected early got ejected. in the third
0: quarter for a you know you could this is debatable in my opinion whether I think he was probably going for the steal uh, it just really was, was a Bad look overall because you could paint it in in a light that he he hit LeBron where it hurt, if you will, and uh, yeah, and LeBron definitely won an Oscar for his performance as well. But yeah. yeah, Dylan was was uh was ejected, and didn't play the whole basically the whole second half, and but not suspended for game four.
1: Yeah. So the question is like, where do you see that role playing craft, and then do you see any kind of windows for improvement? Yeah. So.
2: So I'd say with Dylan, I think, you know, we were when we were laughing about his comments and kind of his stick and all the shenanigans that Dylan does. I think we are we were kind of high on the game two win. We were excited. And, you know, and I think Brantley was way more and maybe you, you a little bit, Ty, we're a little more nervous about the I know Brantley for sure was nervous about what that, that would possibly mean. And I, you know, and I figured, and I think I kind of naively was like, well, LeBron's not going to fall for this. It's probably not going to change the way he plays. But what I think I probably underestimated was both the crowd, the crowd reaction to that, and then secondarily the role players on the Lakers and the rest of the people on the team that would feel this sense of... Um, Collect Like this collective sense, which I think, you know, I'm a big culture guy and that's one of the things about the Lakers and just the LeBron experience is there's not typically a very like close knit culture among the team. It's fair. It's, it's it seems like it's just a bunch of professionals showing up to get a job done and then going their separate ways. And I do feel like Dylan's comments kind of I, because that's the best team defense team buy-in I feel like they've had not just in the series I mean that I, I mean I watch a lot of Lakers games that I feel like they've had in a long long time um and I don't know if I've seen that this season how connected they were at least in the first quarter on defense and honestly a little bit in the third quarter as well just on their rotations and things and so that that I feel like was a big deal that Dylan he he didn't poke the bear as in the bear being LeBron he poked I think the the bear as in the Lakers team. And, and kind of got some guys uh, to play, I think, a little bit above themselves for at least periods of the game. And I think the crowd, which was already going to be a rabid crowd, first, you know, sold out playoff crowd for the Lakers since like 2013 because their only other playoffs at home have been, have been with pandemic related stuff. And so there was already going to be. And so I think and, and I think what we've seen with Dylan, which is weird, is that I think when he talks big on the road, i.e. Christmas game, he doesn't show up. Um, on, at home, I think it's maybe a little bit different, and so it could be just the timing. Like maybe he should have done these things. At game at the end of game four, going into game five, and we're coming back to FedEx form I don't know, but I think that, and then I think the biggest thing is I don't, uh, with it was very obvious in the first quarter that the str- the strategy from the Lakers was we are not gonna let Jaron and Tillman get it in the paint. Like we are not gonna get in the let them get in the paint. We're gonna put. As if we can have all five guys with a foot in the paint, we will. We are going to let uh, Jaw and Dylan um, and pretty much anybody on the team even shoot a three except for Bain in our starting five. Like It just felt like they were daring everybody to shoot. And, of course, for Dylan, uh, as you were talking about with the let it fly and just, you know, so let it fly Taylor Jenkins, Dylan Brooks, the player, that combo means Dylan's going to be putting it up. And and we've talked about. I know Will and I talked over and over and over again on weekend episodes about how we just would love for him, especially if he gets it to not settle, but to drive it in or to take his little mid-range to like in the paint uh, jumper that he takes. And it just felt like um, he was he was kind of settling for those threes. And again. It's hard to tell a professional NBA player when there's nobody anywhere near you and you're wide open from three to not take it. But it just, it definitely hurt. Uh, and I think it, it, it hurt us. And, and so it's not just that, you know, wide open long threes hurt because of the spacing if you can't make those, but then they also lead to long rebounds, which lead to typically fast breaks or at least, uh, you know, us struggling to set up our hack for half court defense. And I just think that was sort of a perfect storm. That if you just look through the box office, it was it was the guys we don't want taking shots, taking shots where we don't want them taking shots, and the guys that we would love to take shots not taking the shots that we want them to take, and it just and you know i.e. thirty five to nine, and uh, so that's I mean that and so for me I do blame Dylan in that uh, he talked he didn't back it up and. Um, and then we can get the Jenkins conversation, I think, is a longer conversation that I don't know if we want to get into um, about the flaws that I think I see in Jenkins. Um, but one big thing that I think you can at this point say is I think Jenkins does seem to struggle uh, with controlling our players at certain times. And, and, you know, and I feel like in game, I want to say game one, uh, he just sat Dylan at one point. Um, that because Dylan took a bad shot and kind of had a crazy foul and he just sat him. But it just is very obvious. And it might be that you can't control Dylan, but there is this sense of somehow talking to Dylan about, um, you know, making taking shots that, that are better for him. It, you know, don't take a three unless it's the last five seconds of the shot clock. And some of the, a couple of those threes were that, but you know, but but driving. You know that's the biggest thing for me is we just did not want to drive, and I think that's our collective team. I think has struggled with the length of the Lakers, and in particular, I think are intimidated by Anthony Davis and and how many blocks he's had the first few games. I mean, basically, what we talk about with Jaron, like that Anthony Davis is really controlling the rim, but I still think we got to drive. You know, and I think fortunately Jaw eventually realized that. But uh, but that's a big thing. So I don't I mean, so going back to the original question, I mean, I do blame Dylan, but I don't think he's the only blame. I think the first quarter, a lot of it was a perfect storm of many things of of the Lakers adjusting and then us not adjusting um, or just like basically giving in to their strategy, which which led to a thirty five nine quarter, which is, you know, one of the worst in NBA history. So.
0: There's a lot of parallels this this postseason with Dylan Brooks and Draymond Green, in my opinion. Both players um, play a specific role on their respective teams. I think Draymond is better, obviously. You've seen the importance he's played on teams that have gone all the way, and uh, his cultural importance with with the Warriors as well. But they're at this really interesting touch point, and it's for two different like Dylan and he are at different touch points in their career where the Warriors have to decide: Do we? How much is this guy worth? And just because of how expensive their team is, um, are we ready to turn the page uh, in our in the fabric of our team? And then and he's they've both had these events in this postseason, which has Draymond with the Sabonis stomp and his suspension, which the Warriors actually turn around and win without him, um, and now they're coming back for a really important game four later today, um, but. It's 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 like, what what is going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back with both of these guys? And with Dylan, you know, similar to Draymond, in a contract year. And this team is about to get really expensive with the Desmond Bain ex- extension that's upcoming. Um, with some dead salary next year, presumably with Brandon Clark on your books. And the jaw, Morant, I mean, we haven't seen all NBA, but that is still on the table, um, his increase in salary. And so the organizational decision for Dylan because frankly he wrote a check, uh, that his teammates were going to have to cash for him when he made those post game comments. And when Draymond writes a check, which he writes way more than Dylan because he has his own podcast. He loves, he loves talking unprompted. Notably Dylan's Dylan's quote was in response to a specific question. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I'm thinking about the game as a whole, yes, Dylan, I mean, three for 13 is abysmal, one for five. Like, I kind of think about Dylan, if he had the self-awareness of, like, a Kyle Anderson, which they're both just as bad uh, from a percentage standpoint when you're talking about, like, shooting from a certain distance. But we saw, like, I think we we should kind of think about Dylan and Kyle in the same way where we saw how our half-court offense suffered when it was a swing swing to Kyle in the corner and you're like, please, they're giving him all this. Of course they're giving probably like half a step less to Dylan. Um, because he's, he's shown that he can make a three every once in a while. But I wish that Dylan just had that. Like I, I made, I made the joke that he's playing 40 chess and wants LeBron to, to take all the shots, which LeBron was over four from three and 10 for 20 overall. He didn't have an amazing game. Um, but I want Dylan to also have the self-awareness of I'm taking this heat on myself and I know what I have to do or not do offensively mm-hmm. for us to win. And mm-hmm. where do these shots need to go? How best can I serve my team on the offensive end? And that is just a, like he has, he has gone so far above what I think at the beginning of his career, we expected of him on the defensive end. Um, given his, his physical limitations. Yeah, he's big, but he's not like this, I don't know his physicality is is probably in like the 70th percentile rather than the 90th, and so I just wish there was more awareness. And that comes back to is he is it just is it just um, ignorance? Is it selfishness or what is it? And and in this system, which we talked about of let it fly, mm. yes, Jenkins will give you the rope, but you also have to know yourself and you have to know. I do have this rope if I want it, but is it best for my team if I take it? And so that's where I would, my biggest critique would be of just Dylan and his self-awareness. And I think that when you think about what people from the outside hate about the Grizzlies, Dylan is the encapsulation of all of it. And it's basically writing checks. You can't cash. You're going to say sometime.
1: Yeah, I was, I think that's spot on. I think one thing that you mentioned, it's really interesting. I mean, I'm kind of piggybacking off that, but, like the the role that Dylan is asked to play, honestly, he has like if you look at his role on our on our team and on our offense last night is what that looks like, for better or for worse, right? Like if you look at Draymond's role on his team, it is much different. They leave Draymond open. Draymond's role is not to be a knockdown shooter. He's asked to do a ton of other things in the pick and roll, all that kind of stuff. Play make. Dylan's role on our team from day one, what he was asked to do was to take and make outside shots, right? Like, he's not a big facilitator. He's not, like, a pick-and-roll ball handler. He's not a screener. Like, what else is he going to do on offense? Like, his role is to take open shots and make them. So, like, in my mind, if you think about, like, well, what kind of, can I ask that to you, Kraft, a little bit? Like, what is moving forward? Like, to me, it's hard to just completely switch everything you've ever done in a system that you've been in for now a couple years just because shots aren't going down. Like, Dylan's not, I do not think, offensively equipped to change the way that he plays. Um, I don't think he can do other things on offense to, like, help our team, right? Like, for instance, like you talked about, swing, swing on the wing, he's missed. He's 0 for 3 to start, and this is, like, all consecutive possessions. No hesitation, just takes the jumper. I was asking you all this. It's, I guess it's not impossible to know, but we're limited with our resources right now. How early in the shot clock did Dylan take all those shots? And just from watching and my hunch is early, right? Like you were saying, like, he took the bait, right? He, he reached, they, they were baiting him into these shots, and he just, no hesitation, was just like, oh, this is great, let's do it, right? Instead of, well, what you were saying, have more awareness to be like, I don't have it tonight, what else can I do on the offensive side of the ball to help my team? And a part of it is, like, I don't know if he's there, mentality wise, but also don't know if he's like physically like skill set capable either. Right. So to your point, kind of tying this a knot from my perspective, we can obviously continue discussing it. But if you look at our offense, if you look at the the roster we have set up, we, the way we play jaw, heavy pick and roll, right? Like there's going to be a lot of crashing the paint kickouts. Can you do something with that when you get the ball kick out to you? If Dylan is not able to make shots, which he has shown over and over and over and over and over again this entire season, he's one of the least efficient players outside of Russell Westbrook in the entire NBA when it comes to jump shooting, and that's what he's kind of asked to do within our role, and he, he's not capable, right? So in my mind, I was thinking about this last night. I've mentioned this before. Like, this is obviously a further discussion for later down the road, but we're on Dylan right now. The topic's obviously hot. Um, if we bring him back next year, it will be, a, it will be very difficult for me to take our roster-building process serious. Um, the, the position we need that player, regardless of name, the role we need that player to play, hence why we kind of got rid of Kyle Anderson, right? Like, what was he kind of doing in that role, all this kind of stuff? To me, Dylan Fitz, I love the Kyle Anderson take because I've never thought about it, and it's honestly pretty similar. We need someone in that role that can just do a lot more. Jaws, small point guard. Bain, obviously not a huge guy, can do stuff off the dribble. Steven Adams is not an offensive creator at all. Jaron's improved a ton, still maybe not there when they're, like, really game-planning against him. We need a safety valve out there on the perimeter that we can just trust with the ball. And I don't think Dylan's, you know, I just don't think he's capable of doing that. And I don't expect that to change. That's why we can talk about game four adjustments, stuff like that here in a second. But to me, like that is that's that's just a weakness that we have to overcome, rather than like something we can exploit.
0: Yeah, and I I think the ideal in the organization's mind, based on the data that we know from the trade deadline, is they're aware, like they're aware that if they can upgrade that hope, position, yeah, you would hope so. However many p- picks they put on the table for OG, how, however even more so for Mikel Bridges, it's like those are two different players. mikel Bridges, we're seeing his offensive game explode right now and I think that, you know, our organization saw that and probably predicted it was going to happen. OG, it's different where he has the same gifts defensively that Dylan has, but he's more aware in his role and can take less shots and doesn't have to just soak up a lot of usage. And so they're two different upgrades, but both could serve you well. I think to close the loop on on my point about Dylan and maybe we if you have any more thoughts, craft two, or we can move on. But it's that when when I when I was saying that Dylan was writing checks that we our team couldn't cash, I, I kind of still do hold Ja Jaron and Bain as our core three responsible overall for the lack of, of offense in our in our first quarter. I mean, you look at Bain and how he just struggled, and I think the just the front court uh, length of the Lakers has just been so tough for Bain to handle how many blocks that 80s had have been directly on Bain it's probably like 40 percent of them of them and I think he just from the turnover standpoint like that was the story of the game to me we had a 23 to 18 assist to turnover ratio Gosh. in game three which is abysmal and Tyus is adding nothing as well and it's just this this collective of our guards are just not delivering except for jaw. Obviously we're going to talk about jaw more extensively um, <laughs> with 45 point game. He scored eight more points than we scored in the entire first half um, to put that in perspective. But like it's to me, it's a Bane and Jaron um, struggle in, in game three. And, and I put a lot of it on those guys. It's like, yeah, Dylan was an idiot and shouldn't have said those things. And he was, but at the same time, it's it's kind of like you look at the shots in the first quarter; it's like nobody else was hitting either. So it's like that's the other side of this coin as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I want to add to that because um, because I like so so Matt Hardlicka wrote in his uh, Patreon article this morning. He he talked about one specific play, um, and then I want to talk about another play too that I think is the Jaren frustration. But with the Bane, which was, uh, we had sort of a fast break. It was four on five because Vanderbilt was like missed something. It was like down the other end. And so we had five versus four. Bane had it and we passed it to him and he had a pretty wide open three from the top of the key. Now, Anthony Davis was running out to him. And and Anthony Davis You know, when you look at the picture, it was freeze-framed in the article. You look at it, and, like, there's a part of me that says, yeah, like, Davis could have – he was closing pretty well. And so Bane does what he he does in those moments often is not take it pump fake and then drive into the lane where he found LeBron there. And what's interesting is – and they'd shaded it. And so what you see is Aldama's in the corner, and he'd already hit in a three at this point. Wide open. But it's like Bain would have to make a really good pass to sure. the with to, over there because, because Tillman's trying to sort of screen away LeBron to give him a lane. And, and so he could try to get, you know, Aldama. He may, could have maybe made that pass, but there's another guy. There's a Laker there that it would be like, okay, it would have to be a really good pass or that could get picked off. And then you also have the lane, and you have guys all converging on the lane. But I think for Bane, healthy Bane, I think just goes straight. Healthy Bane, who has not been blocked by AD a bunch and LeBron a bunch, goes straight to the lane and tries to lay it up. Mm. But what happens? He passes it to the corner, to the right corner, which guess who's wide open? Dylan Brooks. Wide open, no one near him. And as someone who, you know, playing pick up whatever, I mean, when you're doing that and you're and of course, it's the NBA. So you're having to make all these decisions, you know, OK, I'm not going to take this three that kind of is open that like for me personally, it's like, yes, Bane, take that. It's five mm-hmm. on four. You're open. Sure. But 80s closing and I can get a, maybe a better look because I think in the regular season, your thought process is the wide open person in the corner is Dylan Brooks. Pass it to him, or there's another guy that's sort of open over in the other corner, but it's a harder pass, could get picked off, and so I mean, it's just it's there, and and so there's this hardness with like, every, you know, to me that what I liked about what Matt Hurdlicka's point was, you know, this is everything. It's Dylan being wide open, it's Bane and his length, uh, lack of theirs. lack of length, yeah. as well as is his toe still hurting because he also could have just got to the free throw line and Pull jumped up. Jump up. Water, right? But that's like a quick stop and a jump, which when you have a bad toes, a little harder to, to like keep that balance. And just talking about how the Lakers were doing this, they were forcing, they were saying, don't let Bane, you know, they were selling all out on Bain. And then he has to make choices and he makes a choice that. You know, to your point, you want that guy, you want a a wide open corner three. That is a shot people want. But when it's Dylan Brooks, we don't want it all the time. And so that's one thing. So that's like Bane. And I feel like that's been a lot of Bane. And he's also just missed open shots. And then Jaron, and this is one of those, to me, why I said it was a perfect storm. Because with everything we talked about, you know, second you know, maybe I think second play of the game. Jaron takes a screen, his feet are a little bit outside of his shoulders, which makes him illegal, and Reeves flops, and he gets a mm. foul called on him. And, and that is 11-20 or something in the first quarter. And so Jaron now has a foul. And immediately the next two plays on offense, the Lakers, Reeves being one of them, tried this like terrible flop thing to try to get the foul on Jaron. And the next time, I think LeBron got it, tried to go at Jaron. And, and I think that... Then made Jaron hesitant on offense, and so like there's this sense of, like I'm you know I think on Twitter you see people mad at Jenkins. Why didn't Jaron get enough touches? But then I also think there's just this sense of, the guy got his first foul really early, Mm. and it just changed everything, and and so and so I think I kind of, I think Dylan is the scapegoat, and I don't I think he. But I think he should be. Like, I think he should be the guy who's blamed, who <clears throat> takes a lot of the blame. But we also have Bain and Jaron both played really poorly in the first half, especially Bain. I think, because Jaron, even when Jaron's bad, he still plays really good defense. Um, but obviously, they were both in foul trouble again. And that's, again, another Lakers strategy. Is I just think they, um, I mean, I personally, this is, it's like when Kerr uh, in those Warriors games went to the hack, uh, you know, the hack and Adams. Uh, for me, uh, I feel like Darvin knows that, honestly, we probably have a little bit of better talent than them, but he also knows we're young and inexperienced, and I think he knows, like, if we can get Jaron and Bain off the floor, we're going to win this series. And I, and, so, and, I, and I think that succeeded incredibly well at <laughs> the yeah. first quarter last night, and so while I hate that Dylan – and so I just think it's all these things, and, and I think to Will's point, like, we blame Jenkins – But at some point, and I know Dylan's Dylan's been in the the Grizzlies the longest of all the players on our team. But at some point, Jaw and Bane and Jaron have to say we're the leaders on this team. Dylan, stop shooting so much. Dylan, stop talking. Like, Hmm. don't like. You can answer that question without you know, like basically we're tired of having to cat of having uh, to make up for your written checks, <laughs> you know, like like that at some point we need that. And of course they're all young. They're much younger than Dylan. I mean, not much younger, but two or threes. And I, so those are the kind of things. I mean, I, I just went on for a really long time, but I just was thinking about that as well, that, that, that to have a 35, nine quarter, it can't, it's not just one person. It's like a lot of people adding up to playing really bad.
0: To put some numbers on it, Bane game one, six for 18, three for ten from three game two six for 18 one for six from three game three seven for 14 three for seven from three Banish shot 38% for the series has taken 50 shots mm. um, and that
2: game and, and yesterday the second half was where like if if he hadn't had the second half like that first the first half would have been horrible right stats
0: a uh, couple other things I think it makes sense to talk about Ja just for a second here just 45 points amazing fourth quarter. Where um, he scored over 20. Uh, to me, I kind of think about Anthony Davis and John ja Morant similarly in this series, where they're the two that. Um, AD had an amazing game, 31 17, three blocks. Um, but he, Ja and AD, to me, are like the baseline contributors for these teams. And AD is inconsistent. Ja has been inconsistent recently. And I think about like Bane and Jaren as a combo and then LeBron over here as comparison tools where if both if both Bane and Jaren or you know a combination of them have it going they're the like pushes us over the top type thing and then same with LeBron where it's if he has a decent game and AD is at his baseline of what he can do like that's what pushes them over the top and then you have the role players which can of course swing marginally as well um both AD and Jaw did their jobs in this game. It's kind of like what ha- what happened elsewhere. And this leads me to, I think, is it fair to put... This is maybe reactionary, and y'all can check me on this, but is it fair to put the Jaw versus Tyus debate to rest after this game? Like, I don't... Tyus, zero points um, has just been a no-show in most of this series. And yes, I give him credit for game two and riding the ship and just... Um, being like the game manager but I think like from a ceiling standpoint it's really hard for me to believe that even a hobbled Ja Morant can't be better than ties and I was suspect of that I even said it on this podcast like I might in most circumstances have a healthy ties more than a jaw who's unhealthy but like where do y'all think about this job ja performance because y'all both called it said this there's, there's a jaw game coming Unfortunately, it was this game where we just dug ourselves way too deep a hole that Ja could even Jaw 45 points couldn't dig us out. But, like, where do y'all see Ja? I'll start with you, Ty.
1: I, yeah, I think that narrative is dumb and lazy. And I think a lot of people making talking about the Ja over Tyus thing. Um, I just think you gotta for because I can kind of play into this some too, because that's like the loudest voices sometimes, right? And that's what loud voices were saying, even last year. Even like Kevin O'Connor tweeted that, like basically just to get people riled up because that's that's the narrative that people push. Colin Coward, I've sent y'all some clips the other day. I don't know if anyone. I imagine no one listening to this listens to him. Um, If you listen to us, hopefully you respect at least some kind of (laughs) solid uh, content. I guess I don't know, but he was just trying to. I think it's just loud and trying to get debate, hot topic kind of stuff talked about. He's trying to get the clicks and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, like, game two, we won the game. By no means did I look at that game saying, like, man, our offense was just, like, pinging the ball around. We just looked so good. It was a slog fest in game two. Like, yeah, Tyus had a pretty good game. He was fine. But our offense wasn't just, like, clicking like people say it does, right, when Jaw's not in there, the ball moves so much more, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, that didn't really – give us great results. Like we won the game because we were in the mud and we came out of that and we honestly won the game on the defensive side of the ball. And you could argue Tyus is maybe a little bit better defensively than Ja, but like that's, to me, that's marginal. Um, that's not like leaps and bounds. Um, so yeah, I think I hate that narrative. Um, and I think, yeah, I think you're right. We can officially like put that one to bed um, to speak a little bit more on Ja. I mean, we did predict the game was coming. I hate it wasn't a loss, like you said. I don't think that's the last one. Um, If this series continues, I could see him having another game like that. Um, I think we're starting to kind of figure some stuff out there, too. And Jaws has been known to do that, right? Like in the Wolves series, the longer that series went on, they like blitzed him hard in game one. Everyone was like, Ja got hit like you know smacked in the face he didn't know what he was doing he kind of got blindsided by a lot of stuff as that series went along jaw was jaw right like give him some time like i remember um there's a really interesting thing to kind of piggy kind of bring up draymond again they asked draymond someone did like a year or two ago who in the league reminds you of yourself the most and his answer was Ja, oddly enough Because he said the way Ja can basically like outthink you in a basketball game is like up there towards the top of anyone playing right now, and I think a lot of that's underrated by Ja because you just look at him and he just like he tried to dunk on LeBron last night and almost finished it. (laughs) He would and he like stared LeBron down and apparently they're like boys. It would have been like outrageous. So I think that's what people view Ja as. This just high flying. I'm just gonna attack the rim a la Westbrook. Right. If you think, like, who has a high IQ, Westbrook probably doesn't come to top of mind, right? So I think the style of Jaws play probably doesn't.
0: He had 13 assists last night. Yeah, Ja had played 13 great. out
1: of 23 right. assists for the team. I, I think that was
2: his he's back moment. The, 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 the That's the I was going to get to, for sure.
1: He Yeah, he kind of, like, turned it on. He was getting wherever he wanted. We can talk about maybe who was in the game during that stretch. Yeah. Maybe some adjustments we can make in a little bit. You had to kind of respect some guys on the perimeter. Yeah. But, like, he was doing whatever he wanted the entire second half. My biggest point I want to make, and I'll stop, is the dude didn't quit at all. Kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing. Played crazy hard. Sprinting back on defense. I mean, they would make a huge shot. Like, a backbreaker, Jaw was immediately asking the ball for an out-of-bounds, like, on the baseline after a made basket and was pushing it. He literally basically said, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to give us the best shot. I'm gonna play with all I have tonight and I'm gonna lay it all out there. He didn't hang his head at all. He hustled. Right. Um, he, he still played with swag, even though we were getting beat. That pull-up three he made, getting double teamed, like on after like on the break to cut it to like 10. Like he was like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm here for this against the stars, against everything that we had gotten that huge deficit. Like Ja was there for it. That's right. what we've always loved about Ja. That's one thing we doubted about Ja, right, in the last couple of weeks. And, Kraft, to your point, last night I felt like he climbed or jumped a hurdle with his performance. But also, maybe I'm speaking too soon. Y'all can check me on this one, too. It seemed like mentally he kind of cleared a little bit of a hurdle, too. Yeah. Right? He was kind of like, I'm back to Jaw. Let's do this thing. Yeah. I
2: think, I mean, that's one thing, you know, because I was, at one point during the 35.9 horror show, uh, like, we had one of the worst like the worst lineup ever possible. I think it was like, I don't know if it was all five bench guys, but it was something like, it was all five bench guys. And I I was getting all these texts, like what is Jenkins doing? Fire Jenkins. And I was like, I think he's trying to send a message. And I still kind of believe that because, you know, it could just be, man, we're floundering. I'm just going to try something and see if I can capture some magic. But, I I really do. And this is, you know, it's both my frustration and then we'll see how the series ends. And maybe my praise of Jenkins is he's a real big lose the battle, win the war guy. And I do think one of the things that I saw was he saw that we were hanging our heads after makes by the Lakers. We were turning the ball over and not hustling back. And just I mean, and that was so much of that. And that is. When your core is two twenty-three year old guys and a twenty-four year old guy, and and like and just all the different crazy personalities we have on our team, and I think that is that was the thing that I enjoyed the most was Jaw. What you were saying with they yes they just made a layup they just made a basket get the ball in bounds and Jaw you yourself can get down court before any of these old guys and and I just we can we please in game four play with that in the first quarter like we have not we did not do that in court in the first game um obviously we didn't even have have jaw to do it but we actually did run them in game two i think that was the one thing we did that kind of gave us that edge and uh like that's what i want to see is keep that energy of we have the young legs jaw you can beat everybody down court because when jaw is is getting the ball and going i mean we're gonna get a good shot. I mean, we might miss because people miss. But and I just we did not see that. People do indeed miss. This. Well, and that's you know <laughs> frustrating because you know, one of the things that I know a lot of guys and a lot of analytics people and a lot of like the like the film the film basketball people, they hate that we slow it some down so much in the fourth quarter. And I think a lot of it is jaw likes doing the sort of uh the chess match yeah. and seeing what they're doing. But honestly, that desperation, I just think we need to play with that from the jump. And just run it, run it, run it, run it, run it. Um, And I'm hoping I see that in game four. Because I think that is... Uh you know and obviously I do want to talk about lineup stuff too but I think just even just getting down the floor fast despite even a made basket is such a huge advantage for us cuz they're old by the way we're now at the point where every game's going to be every other day yeah. and and I was laughing one narrative I was getting frustrated with last night and and some guys that I like um maybe some people I know were on Twitter talking about they were nervous how much energy we expended to get back in the game I'm like no no we're we're in our mid 20s by the way jaw like got like a week off. You got like 5 6 days off and we're fine. Like we can expend energy like that. They I guarantee you they com- they might be a little sore today. They're going to be fine tomorrow. They have plenty of energy and by the way we have the whole summer. Um and so like that's not a problem at all. I actually thought it was imperative that we m- made it a game, you know, the 10 10 points jaw has a has a wide open top of the Top of the key to make it seven, Uh, because I just think we found some things in the second half, and I think that gives us momentum, and I think that's a huge deal in a long series. And uh, and my last point, and then we can move on. Sorry, I know I'm, I'm ranting a lot, but the other thing is I just, you know, for everybody, because it was, and, like, I didn't sleep well last night, not just because of the loss, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's frustrating, and thankfully we don't have to wait, like, five days between games like it felt like last week was. Um, but everybody, like I would say everybody, you give them truth serum, everybody going into this series, even the most bold people like me who are saying Grizzlies in five, all of us had, had us losing game three. Um, you know, that like that for us, it was like, is it going to be a close win loss or is it going to be a blowout? Uh, you know, that's, and, and so just to remind everybody we were expecting, like this was the game we were expecting to lose even the most. Grizz homers in the world we're expecting us to lose game three and the first quarter I think like it's like the first quarter makes it seem horrible but the end of the score makes it feel a little bit like okay it was just a typical game three loss uh, when the other teams at home for the first time so I want to keep that in perspective for everybody going into game four you know uh, that uh, that this isn't like some crazy thing that happened last night. Although we saw history in the first quarter, that was a little crazy. But just as the game, the full game, you have to, you can't just take that small of a sample size of one quarter.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like this, this particular night last night was only worth one game. No matter how it, we could have lost two hundred to zero, it's only worth one game for them. So that's good perspective. I want to say too, the thing I loved most about the job performance was, yes, number one, his mental, his physical uh, health is is paramount in this series because when he's right, it's really hard to stop him no matter who what team we're going against. And number two, it forced the Lakers to have to continue to play their guys. LeBron and ad played 36 and 38 minutes. If it's 35 to 9 in the first quarter, like I as a coach am so frustrated if I'm having to play my guys more than 25 26 minutes you in a game
1: that in the group text right after that you were like the worst part about the 35 to 9 is that LeBron's probably going to coast the second half Right? And he wasn't able to 100%
0: and yeah. so i fully expected him to be able to if they held their 20 point lead for longer than you know another quarter and so that's where i loved the job performance the most last night in particular the other thing i want to say and it's been sort of the unsung part of our game is we have been abysmal in free throw shooting during the whole season, and for some reason we are eighty four percent for the series. Which last night eighteen for twenty. I mean, Ja only missed one free throw and went to the line 14, fourteen times. Right, yeah. And if we <laughs> and, can and went
2: five or six from three, maybe he needs to have a wrap on his shooting hand. Wow. <laughs> six for seriously. ten, seriously, yeah, yeah, six for ten from <laughs> three for, for Ja, is. Uh,
0: which is absurd. And I, yeah. I really <laughs> wish that that was in a different different game because I want the Ja shooting game <laughs> to to be what. Puts us over the edge, if you will. Um, but just the free throw shooting has me more encouraged about attacking. And and one of the keys to game two, going back uh, when we were commiserating after our game one loss, was why are you why are you forcing the issue when AD is just sitting right there waiting for you to come in? Like why don't why don't you prioritize shooting from the outside a little bit better? And one of the reasons that I didn't explicitly say, but I think was just baked into what I had watched in our team for the whole season is. It's not as if you, when you get fouled, it's a guaranteed two points either. And that's what's, what's frustrating. But we're getting to a point now where I don't know if it's just the intensity of the playoffs where we're just locked in more mentally and know that free throws are our friend in these scenarios, but they are. And I think that in a series against the Lakers where the fouls truly haven't been too lopsided. I mean, that's been a, a benefit. And we were all nervous about Mark Davis last night, um, but like taking advantage of the moments when the, there's a lapse of judgment by the Lakers or um, their role players are are not playing like LeBron and AD. Like, those are the times when we have to really take advantage of our of our points in the paint and our aggressiveness. Um, and maybe to, unless you all have more on that, like, I just want to move to the role players. Like, when is Rui Hachimura going to miss a shot? Like, this is the... Like, Rui Hachimura, Austin Reeves, also beca- like we we talked about the Wodium so far, which is the worst of all time podium for me. And Alperin Shingun is like in pole position there, but Austin <laughs> Reeves is like number two on the list, and it's like my least favorite type of player, which is you just rely uh, rely on flops um, to to really, and it's like guys that are too skilled to rely on flops. Like I think Austin Reeves is a good basketball player. And I really hate that this has become yeah. his game because it just, I mean, just he's had one per game, which is just yeah. absolutely ridiculous. And so he's on my podium yeah, uh, as of today.
2: No, I mean, he had that moment that um, where, and I was watching Bally, So I just saw it on Twitter, but I mean, where he got Tillman, mm-hmm. it was just total flop. And I hope that the Grizzlies somewhere, I mean, I don't know if they still do this, uh, but I'm hoping they're sending a bunch of tapes of this to uh to the nba to say hey like because i mean you even saw tillman said something to him and doris burke called him out it was basically like this is ridiculous that kind of flopping I and mean, it's just but i mean and again i mean i you know but it works for him I mean i think it, it hurt jaron early um but yeah he's he's becoming very frustrating because like you said he's actually somebody who just if he played straight up would actually be a very good role player um, but yet he's kind of had this this weird cheating to his game. So whatever.
0: Um, okay, empty the notebook time for game three. What else? What else did you guys have um, in your minds that we haven't discussed yet for for the game? I know that Luke Kennard was was one of the things that we had talked about is just like his usage and his plus minus. He's he's actually played. We looked this up earlier. Uh, Ty, you were you were asking about this seventy four minutes so far in this series. Dylan Brooks has played seventy. And Luke Kennard in those minutes is is a plus 23. Dylan is a minus 16. And I feel like Luke Kennard, too. I mean, he only took one three last night. And and yes, the Lakers are prioritizing him. Uh, because there's oh, the last note I want I had written down about this is I, I've kind of come to my senses on I've just been so frustrated with how easy we are to game plan for. Yeah. And what I've realized is we've had success because even though we're easy to game plan for, we are so hard to actually play against in our style. Um, It's like you can have the perfect game plan and yet we will find a different way to beat you, whether it's hustle or whether some of our guys get hot. And I do think there's, there's a level of like, I don't want to be this easy to game plan for, but yet we are. But I also wanted to give credit in the, in the sense that we're just so hard to play against. And I wish that we would recognize that earlier in games is like, if we play our, like we don't have to react anymore. We can be the ones that are forcing the issue. Um, because teams don't like, even if they know theoretically in their mind, what they should do, they hate doing it because it involves work and it involves hustle. And so that's, that's my sort of empty the notebook on, on game three. And and
2: I think that's where, you know, I think because because I do think Taylor Jenkins is getting a lot of, um, a lot of hate um, online, on talk radio, and other things right now. And so again, I want to let's get back to it when the series is over, you know, and then we can do the big picture stuff. But I do think that is, you know, if you're going to say he doesn't, you don't like the way he adjusts in certain ways, but you have to love the system and what what it demands from teams to do to be able to beat us for sure. Yeah.
0: Last last thing, Brandon Clark. Having him would have changed the the complexion. Of the first quarter. I think we put in a guy that you can rely on Mm -hmm. to be efficient, to be energetic and to provide a spark. And instead we were putting in Santi Aldama and David Roddy, which I like both of those guys a lot. They are not BC and they do not do what he does and just muck up a game and run and um, force the other team to adjust to the style in which he plays. And so that was one area where we just missed a guy who can just write the ship, and, and, and he's one of those guys.
2: And that's almost where and I know. I mean, maybe I belabor the Conchar point, but at some point I feel like uh, we need to put in guys that can at least stabilize. I mean, I think that like yesterday it wasn't. Oh, we need somebody to come in with talent who can score. We just needed somebody just to play the right way like play play normal don't throw the ball to the other team get, don't throw the ball to the other team don't miss a defensive assignment um and that's where it's hard playing the rookies so you know but that 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 would be the other thing um that that I was thinking is just maybe think about that but but to that point though uh, that puts again uh, Tyus is a real bit of disappointment there yeah. cuz you would have thought maybe him coming in would have done that he just didn't we got worse it got worse when he came in Yeah.
1: so that's yeah the last point that I was going to make before we move on to game four stuff is what you were saying is it seemed like we got, we've already kind of touched on this. We got really, really sped up at the beginning of the game. We allowed them to dictate what we did offensively and it worked to their benefit. Kind of what you were saying. We're hard to play. Like their initial thing was like, AD's going to live in the paint. We're going to put LeBron on Jaron. How'd that work out? They switched out of that really early because Jaron just started dominating on the block. We didn't do any of that in game three. Again, I don't think I think we just got so sped up and we got so like rush and it's like kick out Dylan on the wing. Oh, that's a good shot, quote unquote. But that's not like what we need to be doing on offense. We let them off the hook in the first quarter, time and time and time again. I don't like the one thing I guess Ja would love for for him to kind of like feel that a little bit more, and instead of being like we're not getting good looks so just i'm gonna just drive to the paint and try to get a layup or get a foul or dunk on someone which is usually kind of his like fallback options like let me do this i wish you would play in a little bit more to the chris paul game plan of like let's slow it down everyone go on the right side of the floor jaron come to the left block we're gonna throw you the ball let's settle things down that way right i don't know if ja has that in his game yet i'm i've I know he's fully capable and I think I also don't think that's something we've ever done in the past. Again, we this series to me, we have kind of asked things of guys that they've never been asked before because we have an advantage doing it. That still doesn't mean we're incredibly comfortable doing that though, right? Like that's why we even said game one to me felt so weird because we were playing through Jaren so much. It worked, but I was still like, I don't remember seeing this. Happening often, right? Like in the regular season, there were those stretches where Jaw was out, where Jaron had to do more, but it was still like uncomfortable, right? To me, in Game Three, you started seeing a little bit of that. We kind of went back to old habits to an extent, um, and we kind of got rushed and sped up. And guys that we need more of, they weren't providing, but they also weren't giving the opportunity. Going back to like what you were saying, Craft, we just need guys to just like make the right play sometimes. Like when it gets swung, swung to Dylan, and it's just like the right play may not be to shoot the to shot take an right open now. shot. Like it that might not be, be the best to play. I'm gonna go to right. initiate a dribble handoff to Jaw and get him going downhill, or I'm gonna like dribble the ball to the left side of the block, left side of the floor, and get Jaren on the block against LeBron. Like something like that instead of being like Dylan time, yeah. right? Let me shoot this shot again. I will kind of I want to tee it up a little bit. We'll talk about it more, but that's why I think Luke Kennard is gonna should be a bigger role in our offense. Yes, he had four points the other night. Last night, he was also a plus six in his minutes because he just makes the right play. There's time and time again where he, it's always so frustrating when he doesn't take open shots, but when he doesn't take open shots, he doesn't just like dribble into something terrible, right? Like he swings the back or moves, cuts. He's
0: not not a record scratch guy. Yes,
1: he just does other things that allows our offensive possession to continue because if we continue to run offense, continue to kind of like try to do things, the Lakers defense will eventually kind of break down. Like we've shown, we've seen that. So like, let's just kind of try to keep things going a little bit more. Yeah, And, you know, and I think, in, and I think, and we talked about this a lot
2: uh, post-trade as when we were starting to play really well with Kennard. It's like, even as frustrating it is that he doesn't sometimes get his up enough shots, the fact that he's there means that, one guy, and then if there's anybody going over their screening, it means two guys are, have to deal with that. They have to be occupied with that. And when you have somebody like Ja Morant with the ball, and that there's two defenders that cannot concentrate on Ja because they are nervous about what's happening on the other side of the court with Kennard, that's just a huge advantage. Uh, and, and and it's not a shock because you talked about this You know, as we kind of shift. Uh, you talked about this earlier, Ty, but like, there's a reason why jaw went off mostly when canard was on the floor, because all of a sudden it's a little easier to get to the rim or for people to have to sell out, uh, to protect the rim, to give you just wide open three point shots when they're worried about, a, a, when they're worried about canard and Bain, like, because they can't just not worry about that. But it takes to your point earlier. It takes all of their concentration to keep jaw out of the paint. Like he is the guy uh, you know, maybe SGA now too, but in the NBA who it is impossible to keep out of the paint. And so you have to put all of your effort into that. But when you're worried about two guys who can hit threes on, uh, you know, on on the perimeter, that just makes for a really difficult assignment to play defense.
0: Yeah, agreed. And it's it's another thing to, to consider where, Ty, you were talking about, you know, Jenkins knowing what the adjustments are and it's about the guys being asked to adjust to actually be to, to play into it. And we also have to remember we are playing with a limited hand. Like it's not as if we, if we want to adjust, we don't have a different guy to ask to come in to adjust to it's, it's, it's you're having to ask David Roddy to play two different types, two different styles, depending on the matchup. Um, and instead of having a guy like Brandon Clark, who you can bring in to to run a run and gun t- style or a you know short roll style, um, so that's the other thing too that's just been frustrating. Is and we've said it mostly over text. And Kraft, you've been hammering this point home. The Lakers are not good. We are. We are. <laughs> it is self inflicted. If you look at why we're losing, it is mostly self inflicted, and the Lakers are very solid defensively they are not super solid offensively and that's true for us as well and so that's why you're seeing a grit and grind series and uh these these performances are are basically happening near the end of these games because it's just wears down on you and so another point to the series is yeah like you say like you were saying th- there's not two days in between anymore so let's take advantage of that like, even though we're limited, even though we only have like nine guys, nine and a half guys that we trust, like use your young use your young legs to your advantage.
1: Last thing, just stats to back up the eye test. Um, so I just wanted I was curious about two-man lineups for the Grizzlies. So two-man lineups, basically NBA stats.com. You look at combinations of players on the floor where these two specific guys are sharing the floor together. The other three players it could be a mixture of any kind of three. I just wanted I was curious about Dez and Connard on the floor together. So they've played 46 minutes together of you said Luke played 70 so more than Luke's half played of the yeah. 74 minutes are with Dez. Um, really quick, Ja and Connard have played 33. So if you include Ja not playing at all in game 2, a lot of those minutes they're essentially together, right? Y'all want to know Des and Luke's uh, net rating together in 46 minutes? Please tell me. 30. <laughs> a plus 30. Their offensive rating when they're on the floor together is a 125. Their defensive rating is 95. <laughs> yeah. Which, Y'all want to know Jaws and Luke's real quick? So, again, Jaw and Luke have played 33 minutes together. Net rating, 30. Yeah. Defensive rating, 133. Sorry, offensive rating 133, defensive rating 103. (laughs) Isn't that insane? Just to kind of like pour a little more gasoline on the fire, John Dillon have played 34 minutes together, a minus 22. Offensive rating of 89, defensive rating of 111. Just saying. If you look at backcourt pairings, if you want to see what's doing well, what's spacing – I mean, it's hard to argue on those numbers. Also, the defensive rating when it's just kind of wild that. it's Well, that, and that's that the good. problem
2: because with Dylan and Tillman, you have two. I mean, which is weird to say. I mean, I mean, I would love for Dylan to shoot a little better, but I mean, you have two non-shooters, and so uh, you know, and and you need to be. And so, one of the issues is with Adams. He's a non-shooter, but we get over that by the fact he does other things. He right? does other th- because yep. he screens for Jaw, so he provides st- spacing by his physical body and. He gets a bunch of Dylan's misses. So it doesn't matter. I mean, that's one of the things is he gets so many offensive rebounds that he makes up for our lack of spacing or lack of quality shots that we get with having two non shooters on the floor. And that's just kind of and that and so that's where I think the Dylan at four, or honestly, like not playing Dylan that much. But I mean, that's that was my one of my biggest keys is Kennard needs to play thirty plus minutes. I just I think it's shown now we have three games of data. He does not kill us on defense.
1: No, uh, he does not, and also, like, and and he makes our offense awesome. Yeah, and just to balance that out, I just Luke and Tillman were kind of just down a couple spots down, so I'll just say theirs right. too because it's super
2: fun. Which is interesting because Aldama does kill us on defense. Yeah, and that's one. So one of my keys is I don't know if we need to go small, small because I know. Going small, if you watched any of the Clippers-Suns games, you saw how the Clippers play great for a while in the fourth quarter. It's like it's hard to play small for a really long time um, because it means you have to really, really, really work. But I will say that uh, I just think once you're three games into a series, you start to get some feelings. And one of the things that I think is that Canard, for whatever reason, that he just doesn't hurt us on defense. Now, if we play like the Warriors or the Kings, there's there's other teams that maybe hunt guys in a specific way and can take advantage of Kennard not being amazing defensively. The Lakers are not that. You know what the Lakers are though? They're very good at hunting forwards. They're not good defensively, and that's all Dama. And and so he's somebody who I would like to see, not get as many minutes going forward, and and maybe give maybe give those minutes to Roddy. Maybe play Dylan at the four, uh, going small. I don't know. I just know that it's pretty – I mean, we have three games now. aldama has been a pretty big negative. Kennard's been a pretty big positive. And uh, and I just feel like we need to start thinking about that with our
1: rotations for sure. Yeah. Last thing, um, Kennard and Tillman, 33 minutes together. You all know how this is going to go. Offensive rating, 134. Defensive rating, 107. Basically, plus 27 – or 27 plus positive net rating. Um. I th- yeah. I feel like we've this podcast has already gone a little long. I'm sorry. <laughs> but there was, again, to Luke's yeah. defensive stuff not really getting in the way. Will and I talked about this when I first came over. There was a possession last night where the game was getting a little tight. I think it was in the fourth quarter. And Luke was guarding D'Lo which is a great matchup defensively for Luke because Delo is not quick, he's not strong, he's not physical. He's going to try to do a step back jumper or some like flailing three trying to get a foul call. Luke can 100% guard him and Delo has closed every game. So if you're looking at a guy that we can just throw Luke on, there is one right there. Let's do that. What does that come into, you know, the problem of that? Well, they would just run a pick and roll with Delo and LeBron, get LeBron switched on Luke and then there would be the mismatch, right? Tillman, who I think we'll talk about this later, Tillman was guarding LeBron in those possessions. Not Dylan because he had been ejected. So they tried to run this pick and roll, and Tillman just like completely sagged off and just let the screen happen, and then was just waiting to just for the screen to end. Basically, just wasn't even getting screened. No. It was almost like Luke was hedging, like he was going to switch, and then immediately it was almost like a like a slip screen by Delo. He didn't roll to the rim. He just like slipped across right to the other wing. And Tillman just stayed put. He didn't really go anywhere. Didn't he initiate the switch or anything like that? They kept trying to do that, and LeBron was finally Like, well, I guess I'm not going to get this switch. I'm just going to try to take Tillman off the dribble. He took Tillman off the dribble, tried to drive left, which is LeBron's dominant driving hand like Ja. Tillman blocked him at the rim, started a fast break, got out running. It's like we are seeing adjustments. We are seeing who guys can play who cannot We'll talk about this later, again, to kind of tee it up. Dylan's defensive prowess, defensive versatility, this is not the series for it. Tillman defends LeBron extremely well, maybe better than anyone we have on our roster. Chris Harrington did an awesome article in the Daily Memphian where he basically looked at shots that LeBron had against certain defenders in games one and two, um, or maybe it was just game two, um, I think LeBron had had four shot attempts against Tillman, and he was one for four. And for Dylan, it was like above 50% from the field, and that was the majority of his shot attempts came against Dylan. And it's like maybe Dillon shouldn't be the primary defender on LeBron anymore. Maybe we should pass that along to someone like Tillman, who's strong, pretty quick on his feet. LeBron is not quick on his feet anymore. He tries to play bully ball. You're not going to bully ball Tillman, and Tillman can hang on the perimeter as well. So it's like, to me, there's some glaring just like adjustments to be made. Um, Low-hanging fruit stuff. And it's backed up. Like you said, three games is a fairly decent sample size. In a game where we got beat 35-9 to in a quarter, and there's still some extremely positive numbers backing all that up.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, in similar, I get worried that Tyus is, um, I get nervous that Tyus (laughs) that they're going to realize Tyus is shooting terribly and stop closing out on him. I think one of the reasons why some people do think that we're better with jaw without jaw is because people actually have guard Tyus out on the three, you know, part of that just because everybody's so scared to death of jaw getting to the rim. But, uh, but I, I, I feel the same way. Like I don't want, the Lakers to start leaving Tyus open. Like, please let Tyus still space the floor, even though he's not hitting. I feel the same way with the Grizzlies. I like, this is part of the frustration with all the LeBron stuff. LeBron has been a negative for every, for all three games. I believe Mm -hmm. negative plus minus part of that is because he plays with the really bad lineup. That's out with Anthony Davis. But like what, where LeBron kills you is passing it. I think the more he's driving and trying to get to the basket with, with, Any of our guys, you know, and I think I agree with you about Tillman, but even Jaron, even Dylan, um, like that's that's a win for us. But I think what's hard is he's making he's he's a playmaker. We need to get rid of LeBron, the playmaker, let him be a scorer. And so I just I hope that we continue to do that because he's going to be an inefficient scorer and we need to stop kind of giving him this like lebron takeover respect. He just doesn't have it. I mean, he's he's like been their only negative player for the for the series. And and you know, and obviously that's some lineup dependent stuff, but we just need to start treating him like like a great like a good to great player, not like the, you know, one of the greatest players of all time because he's 38. He's not that anymore.
1: He's old. I just had he's to do time. this to round out the The current (laughs) starting five, I had to do Luke and Jaron's numbers just because I've done all the other four, and they've (laughs) all been incredibly positive. So Jaron and Luke have played 57 minutes together. Offensive rating, you guessed it, 123. Defensive rating, you guessed it, 105. He is borderline at least a plus 20 with all the other four starters on the floor as long as he's out there with them. To me, it's a no-brainer. I say that he'll play 38 minutes in game four and be like a minus 30. But do you kill two birds with
0: one stone and uh, solve your Santi problem by playing Dylan at the small ball five? Like, honestly, you bring him in. And the problem is, is that the, the Lakers don't really have a backup five. And it's usually LeBron or Vanderbilt who are who's who are playing that role. Um, which would put Dylan right back on, you know, LeBron or somebody different. So I don't. This isn't the perfect series, but I'm like, at some point, what do you do to um, shore up some of the Santi? Uh, I guess I minus mean, I, play. I mean, I'd
2: even. I mean, I'd even test. I mean, I know I'm a broken wreck with Conchar, but I even test him like kind Giddy of going small. I mean, because look at that rim I mean, protection from game two. He's <laughs> just as good of a rebounder, um, and true. I think Conchar stays in front of people. Uh, unlike Santi, and he, you know, I mean, he might still get destroyed, but um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying maybe try something or just at least minimize Santi's minutes because that's been, you know, at this point, it just feels like uh, this isn't the series for him. Like, I right. feel like if we get past the series, Kings Warriors, that might be much more of a series for him. Uh, this, like, a big physical team is just not really the series for him.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're seeing, too, he's not playing a ton of minutes. and in, in game two, I will say... Like his one skill was defensive rebounding at seven in his minutes, didn't score. And the rebounding differential hasn't been giant. Like if anything, we, I think in game three out rebounded them. Um, so I, I don't think what we expected to happen is necessarily happening at the rate at which it, it, we expected it to as in like rebounding pace, things like that. But the Luke stuff is, is to me is top of the list for game four. Like you have to force the issue. You have to get him in situations. He's not going to make the wrong play. He's not going to take a shot in which he doesn't believe, you know, it's a great shot. And so you probably need some, how do you, how do you remedy that? You play him more because then he'll have more opportunities late in the shot clock. Their defense is fine. Like the, Lakers defense is really good, but every NBA defense, no matter how good is going to break down after running for 20 seconds in a system. And I think that's, yeah, I couldn't have said it better. Luke is Luke is the key. It feels like in this series and our, and
2: our, and our start. I mean, when you look at the series, I, I don't think it's six for six, but I would say that the beginning of, of, of all six halves, I feel like has been the most where it feels weird. And part of that is the Lakers are playing their best unit and all their guys are rested, but like, it feels like, Hey, like
0: maybe let's two non shooters. Like yeah. you're saying, that's yeah. what we start each half with. Yeah. So,
2: anyway. so it just feels like we're always come playing a little behind, you know, and at home we got out front, but yeah, uh, early, but, but even then I felt like it was kind of, uh, you know, you know, kind of rudderless. And then all of a sudden we made that big push at the end of the first quarter when we started making the substitution. So,
0: all right. Any last that. thoughts for game four? As we preview, it's tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Take another nap midway through the day yeah, if you can.
2: Real. I, just that for as down as probably a lot of us are today, um, especially after that first quarter, like you said, it's one game. We win tomorrow. That we're the favorites of the series. Like this, it is about tomorrow. I don't. If we lose tomorrow, I'm not. I'm going to still come in here with some optimism because <laughs> we have game five. Uh, because all we got to do is win one there. But tomorrow is there for the taking. I think we have momentum. This is gonna be the first game without uh, their rest and they're not getting, you know that game three bump uh, that that it's just not gonna be the same for this game, I think, as it was for game three. And I think we can just if we can come in, get to a little bit of an early lead, I just think once the rotations start happening, I think even people like Tyus play better protecting a lead than they do getting a lead. I just think that's – so I'm just looking for coming out with the kind of energy we ended the game with, coming out with that energy in game four.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, as bad as yesterday was, it was more like emotional, like pain, because it's just like – it was an emotional game, right? Like, again, it it had everything to do with Dylan talking – and building that up and us just absolutely laying flat. And Brantley always talks about this. He just, like, Brantley texted me last night and he was like, I'm beginning to, like, hate this team just by the fact that this is what we do. We talk, we talk, we talk, and we just don't back it up. Last year it was fun because we backed it up, right? Like, yes, we got beat by the Warriors. But, like, Jaw said all those words. Jaw was there for it last year. And last night, like, he obviously showed up, too. Um, but if you look at like X's and O's and schematic kind of stuff, craft kind of to your point, like we have, and will to your point, we have tons of advantages still, even with injuries in this series. To your point about like Audama, just like cut his minutes, like go eight man rotation, see how it works. Like you're clearly not going to get any worse from anyone else on our bench. I say that Roddy was a minus 19 in 13 minutes last night. So that was kind of tough. But to your point like I know like so I saw someone say this on Twitter this is not going to happen but like what happens if we just started Luke and just like brought in Dylan off the bench to play like a certain niche role and he played 18 to 20 minutes a night and just see what that looks like. I just feel like this is not the series for him. We've learned that outside of his talk and outside of his ejection. He just hasn't been good because kind of what we were saying earlier to harp on it a little bit more they don't have a perimeter-oriented scorer or creator or anything that we can just put Dylan on and be like, shut down this guy. Like, LeBron, he's not that guy anymore, no. kind of what you were saying. Like, he's not the guy where he's going to, like, get the ball and take over, run his own offense, create everything on his own. And if he does it, he's going to do it from, like, the, the block or, the, like, that mid-post, which is not where Dylan thrives, right? Like, he's a incre- impossibly to screen, right? He's going to fight over every screen. They're not running pick-and-rolls with LeBron and A.D., Right, they used to do that a ton. That was like their offense. They're not doing it anymore because they don't have to. That's not like what they're doing with their how they run their sets. So like I feel like D- Dylan's strengths are just being completely mitigated this series. Um, not only that, what I was saying earlier, we have found someone that can defend LeBron as well as anyone else on our roster, and it's not Dylan. So why are we forcing the issue with that? Start Tillman on him if you're going to start Dylan. Put him on DLo. Put him somewhere else, right? Put him on Reeves. Let them two flop and flail all over the place. But, like, change up the way you're doing it. And to your point with the – like, the Lakers are kind of the way they do their substitutions. They are allowing you, in my opinion, to kind of, like, edge Santi out of the rotation because usually the first sub is LeBron, and then they go heavy AD minutes. Santi should not be in the game when that happens. If you want to play Santi – Play him when LeBron is playing the five, which is the next substitution pattern that they do. LeBron usually comes in for AD. They always stagger those two players. There's never a time when one of those guys is not on the floor. Maybe Jenkins should learn from that a little bit. But, like, when AD goes out of the game, then if you want to play Santi and see what you got, do it then. Don't play him when AD's on the floor. Just don't do it. I feel like there are things to be improved on, glaring things. And now it's kind of like, let's just see if we do them.
0: Last two thoughts. Number one, I'm going to be watching Desmond Bain. Number one, I think his his time is now. He's had three terrible games. If it's health, that's a consideration. And hopefully this is, I mean, this is now two, two seasons in a row. Granted, two different injuries, but something to watch. Uh, I still think he's a max player. I still think this playoffs, no matter, even if he has a poor shooting night again, I don't think that's going to change anything. But we need him to win the series. Secondly, I think we, in this pod, where we started with Dylan, is it, do we have enough political capital with Dylan, and does Jenkins feel like he has enough to make an adjustment that size? I don't think we do yet, Yeah, and maybe that's a bigger conversation down the line, is if it's in your best interest, and you feel like you can't do it because a guy has this much equity on your team. Is that an issue, and how big of an issue is it? So this could be sort of sort of a canary in the coal mine situation for Dylan Brooks as we move into the summer.
2: Well, and just how is he going to respond? I mean,
0: that was embarrassing. It's it's
2: him, him, and the team. Yeah, and Jenkins. Him knowing it's the right thing
0: and being okay with it, and showing that he's a good enough teammate to know when he doesn't have it or when this series is not his. Right. So,
2: yeah, I mean, if he comes out and only takes like six shots, or like take, or is efficient. And makes plays and just plays really good defense. You know, uh, I mean, like he could do that. He could, he could
1: quote redeem himself. Let's be like talk about redemption. I just think <laughs> the only apparently, I think the only way he redeems himself is if he makes shots. No, I think that's it. Because what we talked about earlier, like he doesn't do anything else on offense that helps you. He's not a good cutter. He doesn't cut at all. He doesn't crash the glass. He doesn't get offensive rebounds ever. Like he jump shoots. That's what he does. He doesn't create much. If he does, it's like a simple like pick and roll dump off. Like he's not like finding guys on in the corner or anything like that, throwing lobs to people. Like his only way to be redemptive on offense is simply hit shots. And I don't like our chances there, right? On defense again, like to me this is like say it again, this is just not the series for his defensive impact. We talked about that at the very beginning of this series, which is crazy because we thought that it's perfect exactly. for him. Yeah.
0: And that's been a really big shock to me.
1: We thought he would build a guard AD a little bit, guard LeBron pretty well, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, his defensive versatility, we talked about defensive versatility and can he hit shots. I remember we all like basically said, if we make a big run, it w- we would look up and say Dylan shot 40% from three in all the series. That has not happen- happened. And what I said earlier, I think like us winning is in spite of him, especially offensively. Rather than him like adding, he's not being additive on offense. And more importantly, in my opinion, he's not being additive on defense, which is why he's out there. So if he's not going to help you there, like he's just not going to help you. Um, and you got to look, you got to look elsewhere. You just have to do it. At this point, you have to look elsewhere. If game four is truly must win, you got to pull out all the stops and you got to play your best, regardless of who that is.
2: Yeah. And Jaron and Bain didn't play heavy minutes um, because of foul trouble in the first half. I yep. think they were like more regular season ish minutes. So. Like uh, I'm looking for both of them to play 40 if they can, yeah. you know, like if the stars if we have need to em. be stars, yes, they have to be Plain stars. I simple. mean that ultimately that is, you know, yeah, and it sucks that, <laughs> that we're have to, we might have to overcome some Dylan. Uh, but that's ultimately, I mean, I'm looking at our three stars, yep. uh, because this is, this is where, this is where the documentaries are made. Game four must win, you know?
0: Yep. Um, perform. I'm glad we waited a bit to pod. Uh, It was really late last night, and I think we wouldn't have had as productive a discussion as we've had today. Um, In the future, with one game in between, you'll see probably more combination pods where we react to a game that just happened and preview it all in the same. Um, Monday night is a a late one, so no guarantees on getting it out early morning. If we're feeling good, we will, but um, you'll you'll still get a reaction in a preview pod regardless of, of what time it's recorded on, on uh, either Tuesday at midnight or Tuesday at, you know, middle of the day. But um, we're excited for game four. This is the most important game of the series up to this point. We'll see how we respond. And for Kraft, for Ty, for Brantley, shout out. uh We will catch you on the next one. I'm Will. Thanks for joining us.